Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. We are fooled into believing the lie that our past is who we are. Fear wants to keep you in fear. Fear wants to keep you held back. Love wants you to propel and move forward and create something new. So I think we're held back in our past because of the pain it caused, the hurt that we experienced, that we're living over and over again. And so when we have these fears and these negative thoughts that come in into our life, when we have these memories come in, we then start to live those memories. And so it's easy to get stuck there because it's, I think in many ways, it's scary also to create a a future. It's scary to actually think about what do I truly want and what do I want to create? So in some ways, we also maybe just hold ourselves back to the past rather than boldly going after the future. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. John, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Well, thanks for having me. I'm honored to be here. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. You know, so I was introduced to you by way of uh, the folks that work with Ryan Holiday, and pretty much every single person that they've sent us has been fascinating and, and interesting and been up to amazing things in the world. So uh, before we get into your work, I want to start with a question that I have found has often been very informative and revealing, and that is, what did your parents do for a living, and what impact did that end up having on the choices that you've made with your life and your career? Well, my mom and biological father divorced when I was a year old. My biological father was a social worker, a psychotherapist, and he had his own practice. My mom, at the age of uh, when I was five, married my my dad. He's my stepfather, but I call him my dad because he raised me. And he was a New York City police officer, undercover narcotics. He was battling uh, the drug cartel in the streets of New York every day. So a real tough guy, Italian. And so he raised me. And then my mom was in sales. She was one of the first, you know, working women out there in the you know early 70s trying to provide for a family and continue to work while my dad was a police officer so I always remember my mom working growing up you know from job to job she worked for craft she sold advertising she then got a real estate license and then she went back to school and got her degree in recreational therapy and did all that so I always remember my mom working and then my dad retired from the police force and so now my Dad was really more of a stay-at-home dad. He coached my little league teams. He started actually a little league, his own his own youth athletic league, because he didn't like the one in town and the way they were running things and taking advantage of kids and all about themselves and money. So he created a uh, an athletic league that was focused on the kids, and that really took off. So that's what I remember my parents doing and growing up in that environment. 
So what um, what did you learn about uh, relationships and human behavior from having a father who was a cop, especially a, a cop who, you know, really, it sounds like was in the, the in the meat of it all, like experiencing things that probably most of us just see on TV? Right. Well, I think it's interesting having the contrast of the two fathers I grew up with, right? Because yeah. my biological father and I, we, we, I'd see him on weekends. To this day, we don't have a great relationship and really don't even talk much now. He was really never there for me growing up. So my but my dad who raised me, the cop, he was there. You know, it was like for him, it was about family and he was Italian and he was tough. And so it was about uh, love and respect. And I remember him saying to me growing up when, I, when he first uh, came into our lives and he and my mom were going to get married. He said, you know, uh, I'm going to love you like my own and I want you to call me dad. So I'll never forget him saying that. So again, family from him was was really important. But again, growing up, with a, a dad like him who was tough, it definitely taught me to be tough. It taught me to be a, a, a fighter. It taught me to, you know, go after it. But at the same time, he also had this attitude that it was it was him against the world and the world was out to get you. But I never had that mindset growing up. I always believed that, you know, the world was my friend and that life was not out to get me. So I grew up that way. But I had the biological I mean the biological father who was like, Hey, let's talk about it, let's think about it, let's reason about it. If someone disagree with you, you know, let's talk it through. And my other dad was like, Someone messes with you, you punch him. <laughs> So that's what I grew up in. Wow. Um, you know, one of the things I'm really curious about, uh, you know, having not had uh, parents who got divorced, I mean, did you accept, you know, a new dad into your life with open arms? Like, what is that like, especially as a child? I think it was easier for me because I was so young. Mm -hmm. And again, they got married when I was five. So they were probably dating from when I was maybe three and a half. So I remember him in my life a long time. For my brother, it was a little bit harder. So... Growing up in a divorced family, though, that was not easy because you, know, you were going somewhere on weekends, and my mom despised my biological father, so she was naturally prejudiced towards him and really, in a negative way, instilled that in us. She she wasn't right in that regard. She she shouldn't have done that to, to my brother and I because she was so upset with what he had done to her and leaving her and the kind of person he was. So she never really like that. So I think growing up in that environment was, was always tough. You always felt split. And then our dad who raised us, the New York City cop, he had three children from another family. And so they were always coming in from their family into our lives. So you had this, like, I remember I wrote a college essay called the, the quiet storm in the midst of turmoil. And I would say <laughs> that's what it was like. We were, had us four, my brother and me, my mom and my dad, and that was great. But then once we went to other sides of the families and back and forth, there was a lot of turmoil. We're, we're close with, you know, my dad, the New York city cops, uh, kids, you know, now we have, you know, we have relationships, but there was always this tension and just a lot of issues and problems growing up. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I think that a lot of us, um, you know, take on sort of narratives that have been passed on to us by our parents, you know, like the one you mentioned of, you know, your mom not thinking highly of your biological dad. And, and you mentioned that that really doesn't serve you. I'm curious, you know, in your work, what have you seen about letting go of these kinds of narratives that actually limit our lives, even when they've been so deeply ingrained to us from the people that we actually care about? You know, a lot of my work is now about that, which is interesting. It's about 
letting go of the past. You know, I read all about positive leadership, but positive leadership is really about finding a way forward. It's about understanding your past, but not letting your past define you, letting your future be something you look forward to, something you're here to create, not going back to the past and fretting about what was wrong, who wronged you, what didn't go right, what your past burdens were. Now, I do believe we have to heal the past, though. I believe we go through the experiences we go through because we're meant to heal all that we've been through in our lives to ultimately become who we're meant to be. Flip Flippin talks about uh, constraint theory, and that's his real name, Flip Flippin. But <laughs> he talks about constraint theory, which says you'll never rise above the level of your constraint. And everybody has them. You could see Tiger Woods right now in the news. His constraint is is holding him back from rising to who he's ultimately meant to become. So we all have this constraint. And mine, in many ways, was my biological father leaving. And that was part of the wound that I carried throughout my life. But I actually drove up to New York at one point and go, went to go meet with him and forgave him. And we had a really healing moment. And that's when I started to write and speak was after that. After like I let go of this past and this burden, it was weird. It was like a new me, a new beginning began from there. And um, I couldn't have created a new if I didn't let go of the old. And so I actually personally experienced that. But this constraint that we all have, you do have to heal it in order to grow from it. If you don't, what I have found with people is that constraint will eventually hold you back and even sabotage you. And we see it play out every day in people's lives, in their marriages, in their relationships at work, in their uh, leadership, and also in their athletic performance if you see these famous athletes. Hmm. How do you figure out what the constraint is? That's the hard part, but it usually traces back to a wound and it's something that ultimately is is holding you back. So a lot of time it traces back to some sort of fear. What are you afraid of? What are you fearful of? And so in my case, it's that I'm fearful that I'm not loved, that if I don't perform, if I don't succeed, then I don't I'm not of value. I don't receive love. So it usually traces back to something in our identity that is being attacked and something that, again, holds you back from being who you're meant to be. So you trace it back to uh, someone trust, fear, not being loved. Usually you trace it back to that. So it's almost like you see this, you know, uh, this plant and you have to trace it back to the root. And that's what you do. You look at your life, you look at your experiences. If you have relationship problems, you'll probably trace it back to someone who, you know, abused you or someone you couldn't trust. So you trace it back to that. And then you, you heal that part of their past. You heal the pain that it caused you so you can move forward. It's deep work. This is deep stuff we're talking about. I don't really go through a lot of this in my work. Mm -hmm. One day I'm going to write about this, but I have shared it in different talks and I work with a lot of professional sports teams and I've even talked to this in locker rooms with athletes about their constraint and very few want to just talk about it right then and there, but it does make you reflect and think. And as people start to heal, everything changes. Hmm. Why do you think some people get um, so trapped in their past that they just stay, they end up getting stuck there? That's a great question. Why do I think that happens? Because we 
are fooled into believing the lie that our past is who we are. Fear wants to keep you in fear. Fear wants to keep you held back. Love wants you to propel and move forward and create something new. So I think we're held back in our past because of the pain it caused, the hurt that we experienced, that we're living over and over again. And so when we have these fears and these negative thoughts that come in into our life, when we have these memories come in, we then start to live those memories. And so it's easy to get stuck there because it's, I think in many ways, it's scary also to create a a future. It's scary to actually think about what do I truly want and what do I want to create? So in some ways, we also maybe just hold ourselves back to the past rather than boldly going after the future. I also think it's a spiritual thing. You can't talk about these things without talking about the spiritual battle that every human faces between, you know, good and evil, you know, the light and darkness, you know, every movie, you know, we got Star Wars, the the dark side and the, and the force, you know, and so so Everyone has to go through that journey to become the hero they're meant to be. It's the human journey. And so overcoming your past, conquering your past is part of that journey. Mm. Well, uh, I want to get into your work, but what I'm curious about is how you actually have arrived at this point. Like, how did you end up getting to do this work, uh, working with professional sports teams and, and, you know, doing the leadership work that you do? Yeah, so... I, I wrote a book called The Energy Bus in 2007, and before that, even before then, I was really miserable, miserable and negative in my life a few years before that, and it wasn't going well. My marriage was almost falling apart. I was really unhappy and miserable all the time. I was scared about my future, stressed about having to provide for my family. I was a young dad, so I was in my late 20s, you know, about 30 years old, and Again, everything in my life just started to fall apart because my wife just had enough of my negativity. And she said, you know, you need to change because I love you, but I'm not going to spend my life with someone who makes me so miserable. I'll never forget the fight. And she was ready to leave. I mean, she was about to walk out the door. And so I begged her to stay. I agreed to change. And that began a journey that I I'm living to this day. I, I said, I remember I prayed like for the first time. I said, I said, God, if there is, you know, something to this future for me, if there is a future for me, just, just show me the way. Like, what am I born to do? Why am I here? That was the first time I ever did that. Like, why am I here? What am I born to do? And writing and speaking came to me. It just came to me. Boom. Popped in my head. I never wrote and spoke before, but it came to me. And so I said, all right, I'm going to start writing and speaking because I loved writers and speakers like Ken Blanchard, author of The One Minute Manager, uh, Richard Bach, who wrote Illusions, and Jonathan Livingston Siegel, which were bestsellers in the 70s. And I loved books like that. I remember I read um, – you know, just so many of the greatest salesmen by Ogmandino. And so books like that inspired me. So I said, okay, that's what I'm going to do. And what am I going to do? And what I'm going to write and speak about. And I wanted to be more positive. So that naturally started to be something I started to work on and research. This was during the emerging field of positive psychology. So it was just getting started. And I was doing this great research on, on positive psychology that all these writers were writing about and, and sharing. So I was writing down a lot of notes. And I started to do some of these practices. I started to take walks of gratitude. I found out that you can't be stressed and thankful at the same time. So I started taking these 
what I call thank you walks where every day I would just walk and I would practice gratitude. And it was amazing. I started to feel a lot better rather than the stress hormones slowly draining me. I started to feel uplifted by these positive emotions that I was experiencing from gratitude. I started to pray each day that that made a difference. So I was doing like my own little routines. I started uh, meditating and various things like that. And I started to feel different. I started to write about it. And a couple of years later, I wrote The Energy Bus. Three and a half weeks, wrote this book, Divine Inspiration. Walking one day, the idea came to me, went back to my home office, and literally started writing it. I wrote it every day. I didn't have a publisher. I just said, I'm going to write this book and then put it out there, see what happens. Found an agent, got rejected by over 30 publishers. Finally, John Wally and Sons agreed to take on the book. I was so excited. And none of the bookstores would carry the book. So I went on a 28-city tour, paid for myself. I went from city to city, sharing the message in the book. We had five people in one city. We had 10 people in another. The most people we had were 100 people in Des Moines, Iowa. They thought Jeff Gordon was coming. That's why they showed up, the race car driver. And I remember coming home just feeling exhausted and tired and you know not – sure what the future held, but I'd give it everything I had because I was really on mission and purpose. And I can literally trace to this day, a lot of people I know and meet met to this day to people I met on that tour. I started working with a school district, started speaking to a, a business uh, you know, that I, I started working with. Um, started working with the Jacksonville Jaguars was the first sports team I started working with. And so what happened after that is next thing you know, the book started to get out there from that core group of people started to share it. I was talking about it everywhere I went. I was really, you know, mission driven, focused on, you know, positivity, helping people overcome negativity, which is the, what the book's all about, living with purpose, enjoying the ride, loving your passengers. So I was really living it, sharing it. And slowly but surely, different leaders started to read this book, different uh, coaches started to read it. And next thing you know, I go speak to the Atlanta Falcons, then the Texas Longhorns. Then I start speaking to the baseball team, Clint Hurdle with the Pirates called, then the Miami Heat, Oklahoma City Thunder. A lot of companies started calling and reading the book and using it. And then I started writing more and more books based on leadership. So one thing led to another, but it wasn't like it happened overnight. It's been a long process and it's been 10 years now that I've been doing this year after year, sharing the messages of my different different books. What enabled you to keep going uh, when you got rejected by 30 publishers? Like what enabled that kind of persistence and how do people find that in themselves? So grit is the number one predictor and factor of success. It's not talent because I don't think I have a lot of talent. It's not title. It's not wealth. It's not good looks. It's grit, the ability to work hard for a long period of time towards a goal, to persevere and overcome, and, and, and then you keep moving forward through the face of adversity, failure, rejections, and obstacles, right? So so grit drives us, but then what drives grit? That's the next question anyone should ask. So, you know, all this research on grit, but yeah, what drives grit? And I'm convinced it's having a vision for your life. Like, what is it that you truly want? Where are you going? What is your North Star? It's about being optimistic and, and, and staying positive on the journey. And I think, you know, overcoming negativity and staying positive has been a central theme in my life, right? Being abandoned, having to work hard, being of someone of value. So I wanted to get out there and continue to work hard. I played sports growing up. I played lacrosse in college at Cornell University. So I was an athlete in college. And I have been told my whole life that I wasn't good enough. I always had to fight 
to become a starter on my sports teams, whether it was high school or college. I literally had to battle to become a starter. I was never handed a, a job. And I remember being told by even coaches in high school, oh, you can't play college lacrosse. I remember being told by college lacrosse coach, one of the assistants, oh, you know, you, you're not a starter right now. There's no way you're going to be a starter. I was a starter my sophomore year and started my sophomore, junior, senior year. So I'd always been told I wasn't good enough. I always was rejected throughout my life. And I think I learned through the rejection just to keep going that their opinion of me does not define me, that your life is not created by the critic. Your life is created by what's inside you and who you are and ultimately what you do. And so I often even say now part of my work is to tell a lot of people that, you know, um, no one remembers the critic or history doesn't remember the critic. They remember the one who withstood criticism to accomplish something great because there's always the critics out there. So I guess through all the rejection, all the adversity and all the people telling me I, I wasn't good enough, I learned that I wasn't going to listen to them, but just to continue to work and move forward. And so when I was told that by publishers, I didn't allow them to stop me. I felt I had something good that would make a difference. So I just kept on going. And it's so funny because when the energy bus first came out, so many negative reviews on Amazon, like a lot early on, I should have given up. And yet the weirdest thing is now, now most of the reviews are positive and the book sells more now 10 years later than it sold two years ago, five years ago, and eight years ago, and definitely 10 years ago. So it's weird how it almost people have caught up to the message where early on they didn't get it. Hmm. So how do you discern uh, between feedback that is is, pos- is worth listening to and uh, feedback that is just criticism for the sake of it? It's so hard because – you know, you have to listen to feedback. You have to get better. So just to tune it all out is not a good idea. I listen to a lot of, you know, feedback. I'll ask my brother questions and see what he says. And then I'll usually do the opposite. <laughs> so, you know, with something like that. My wife, when she read the energy bus, she was like, oh, it's okay. You know, my brother even thought it was okay. And even at times I go, oh, it's okay. You know, I think the carpenter, which I wrote recently, which is, again, you're very creative, it, the Carpenter is a very much more creative book. It's about being a craftsman in a world of carpenters. It's about creating your masterpiece. It's about loving and serving and caring in the work that you do. So it's more of the artistic side of me. And again, every, I've written every book that I write. People often ask me if I have a ghostwriter, which is funny, but I, I write them all. I must not look smart enough to write a book. But I write all the books I write and – I always get feedback, so I'll send them out, for instance, while I'm writing, get feedback, and I'll look at the feedback, and I'm like, all right, does this make it better? Oh, yeah, it does. Okay. Does it not? All right, no. Toss it out. And I think that's what I do. I listen to the feedback. Does it make me better? And if it does, I take it. If it doesn't, I, to- I throw it out. And I think that's my mechanism is how I go forward. But you know, there was a woman who came to see me speak early on and I wasn't a good speaker at all. I was horrible, but I was just out there doing it. And that's the thing. My wife gives me a lot of credit. She's like, you know, you were out there when you were really bad. I mean, she tells me honestly, she's like, you were just doing it. And I think that's the key. I wasn't worried about being bad. I was just doing the work and getting better. So this woman saw me speak and she told a friend of mine that I was just horrible and I should just give up because I wasn't going to have a future in it. And it's just funny that that's what I do for a living now. So um, I think you can't listen to it with you, – you have to give some more value than others. 
Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. <laughs> wow. 
Well, um, I want to get into the work that you've done with sports teams because that's what really kind of intrigued me, especially professional sports teams. So I'm curious what your work has revealed about performance at those levels. Like, how is it that these people achieve at the level that they do? What can, you know, people who are not professional sports uh, players and professional sports teams members learn about that? And also um, what goes on in terms of leadership at uh, these levels that allows, you know, people to run organizations like this, which I realize is a big question. Yeah, let's let's we'll have to dissect that into different questions. So as I share, feel free to ask me more specific as we go along. But, you know, I never thought I'd be someone working with these teams. So it's been really a cool experience to do that. So now as I'm walking into these buildings, I'm like, how did I get here? Like, How did I come here to be able to share this message? But it's just weird how it's evolved over the years. And now I speak to more and more. And I really you know, get what they're going through. I get their challenges. I understand them. They're no different than a musician. I recently spoke to a musical artist, uh, like at an awards dinner that was the night before a big awards event of all these famous musicians and speaking to them was almost the same thing as speaking to professional athletes. Like they're at the best at, at their, at their game. They're at the top of their class. And yet, they still want to get better. They still have fear. And I think that's something people should understand. These professional athletes have fear like all of us. They have doubts like all of us. They have personal issues like all of us. They have challenges like all of us. So so going in there, understanding that they're human beings struggling with all the different things that we struggle with is something that I take into account when I'm going there. And I realize now, like I've sold over 3 million books, you know, Energy Bus has sold over a million copies. I'm considered probably in the 1% in the writing world now, the writing and speaking world. There are people that are, you know, obviously better than me, you know, sold more than me, but if I'm up there and yet I look at myself and I struggle with fear, I struggle with adversity, I struggle with doubt and everything else. So I look at myself. So I'm, when I'm going to speak to these, of these folks, I realize, oh, they need reminders like I do. You know, I need reminders and they do as well. So a lot of times I'm there to share a reminder, to share truth, to help them get better. Here's the deal. If you're not there to help them get better, to help them improve, then you're wasting their time and they will tune you out. They want to make sure that you have something to say that can help them get better. So like recently I gave a talk to Major League Baseball teams during spring training and the talk was simply three things to do to have a great season. And it was stay positive and optimistic throughout the season. I talked about how most teams are really positive right now during spring training because we're all undefeated. <laughs> Everyone's undefeated during the regular season. But once the season starts, that's when you start to see the challenges, the adversity, the negativity come in. And a lot of teams right then and there give up. But the teams that succeed stay positive. So we talked about that. We talked about staying connected and being a connected team throughout the year, not just now, but truly developing relationships. My, a lot of my work around uh, teams now is helping them be connected and being a team that is connected, that has relationships with each other, that connects with each other, that wants to play for each other, come together and fight for each other. Not fight yourselves, you, you go against the competition. So a lot of my work is helping coaches and teams become connected, and I do that a lot at the corporate level now too. That's not something I sought out, it's something that I just my work evolved into in building these connected teams. I wrote a book called You Win in the Locker Room First with Mike Smith, 
the former Falcons coach. We worked together for seven years. Every year he would have me speak to the Falcons until he was fired. But we wrote a book about the seven C's to build a winning team. And they are, you know, culture, which is key, contagious. It's about being consistent. Communication is is now we start to get into developing this connected team. Communication, connection. Connection breeds commitment. And then commitment, you know, leads to great teamwork. But you will not have great teamwork without care. So all those C's, like, help build a winning team. So that sort of evolved into my work. And now I work with these teams, one, so on a performance level, staying positive yourself, staying positive as a team becoming a connected team. And then the last part I'll share is, is staying the course. And I talk about grit and talk about you know, all the outside forces that they'll have to deal with, all the challenges. So I'm really just shifting their perspective in, in, in many ways. And that was a talk I gave this year. Another talk I've given in the past has been the four stages of greatness and how everybody will go on these four stages as they're looking to master their craft and become great, whether you're an athlete, an artist, uh, a musician, a doctor, whatever it may be, a teacher, if you want to be great, you'll go through these four stages. So again, every year I'm giving different talks or it might be the seven C's to build a winning team. And that's what I did with the Dodgers uh, last season, worked with them on that. And the Miami Heat this year worked with them on the seven C's this year. So again, it's always different, but coaches will bring me in. I speak to the team and then uh, meet with the coaching staff for a while, talk to the coach for a while, really hear their challenges and their issues. After that, it's interesting. I always give my cell number and players will call. They'll, they'll reach out. Not all of them, but a few from each team will usually reach out. And I don't charge them. I just see it as a way to you know really help people going through challenges. And then I'll, I'll basically, you know, maybe talk to them, encourage them through certain challenges, text them throughout the year to, to encourage them. And, you know, you learn a lot about people that way. And that's when I realized they're just people. They have the same issues we all have, but they're the best at what they do. So they always want to improve. They always want to get better. They want to overcome their challenges. They want to be better human beings. They want to have great relationships with their families, but they also struggle with a lot of different things. And that's where I try to come in on that end as well. Hmm. Um, so I had to ask you, what were the four stages of greatness? Ah, okay. Um, so the four stages are you first have to prepare to be great. So that's the preparation stage. What we want is different than what we do. Many people want to be great. Actually, everybody you ask, you want to be great? Everyone says yes. But your actions must meet you know, ultimately your desire. So the preparation this is the planting stage. That's where you plant yourself where you are. And you say, you know what? I'm going to plant myself here and I'm going to serve this craft and also a bigger purpose. And that's when you really surrender yourself to a bigger purpose, to what you're here to do. You can't be great without this bigger purpose because we don't get burned out because of what we do. We get burned out because we forget why we do it. So what's this bigger purpose? And then there's the growth stage. So you plant yourself and what happens? You start to grow. And during the growth stage, we all get pruned. And everyone will get pruned in life. And when you get pruned, it looks like you've been destroyed, but you haven't been destroyed. The pruning is help is meant to help you grow more fully. And so the pruning happens for a reason, to help us grow. But a lot of people think they've been destroyed, so they give up during the growth stage because of that. And during the growth stage, we also deal with our constraint. And that's where I bring in the constraint concept in this kind of talk and talk about that. And if you work through your constraint and you keep on moving through your, your pruning phase, ultimately 
growing from it, you then reach the final stage, which is the harvest stage. And this is where you experience the fruit of your efforts. And you see the fruit in the lives of others, the people you impact by your gifts. Like right now, your podcast, you are going through all those stages. And that's the thing. We're all, it's not like you reach one and then you go to the other. We're experiencing many of these stages simultaneously. But the harvest stages, you're seeing the fruit of your efforts and your impact in lives and people who listen to your to your guests on your podcast, you're seeing the fruit of what you're doing. So you've planted yourself here. You're serving a bigger purpose. You're growing through it. You're probably dealing with constraints along the way, but then you're also seeing a harvest as well. You know, I'm curious um, how we take these principles of leadership and apply them in our working lives and our, our working environments, because I know that's you know one of the questions that I was asked recently was about building teams. And, and somebody had said, hey, do you have any interviews on leadership where you've talked to somebody about building teams and, and working yep. with teams? So I'm curious, you know, if we were to take this and apply it to our own lives, how would we go about doing that when it comes to our interactions with other people, our team members and, and you know, our coworkers? Okay, so this is really cool. You know, it's funny, like we just talked about so many other things that have nothing to do with my work now, right? So I love, <laughs> but I love it. You know, it's like we just had this incredible talk that I never even planned on. So that's, that's really cool. And now we move into, you know, leadership, which is what I've been mostly doing lately and positive leadership. So this new book I wrote, The Power of Positive Leadership, starts first and foremost with you. It's about being positive yourself because even if you are leading a team of two, even if you are leading a team that is a family, you are a leader. You need to understand that you are influencing the people around you and you influence from who you are on the inside. So I think that's where you're going first, right? It's how do I lead myself? How do I become the best version of myself as Matthew Kelly asked? And so what you come to realize is that I must start, first start with me and work on my own positivity, my own perspective, my own mindset, being the best version of myself. And I think it starts there. That's where it started for me. So really becoming a more positive person, feeding this positive dog on a daily basis, that story about the two wolves. I love to talk about dogs, that we all have two dogs inside of us. And one dog is a positive dog. We have a negative dog and they fight all the time. And who's going to win the fight? The one you feed the most. So feed the positive dog. And for me, it was a daily work on becoming a more positive positive person. But what you realize, as I wrote in this book, is positivity is not just a state of mind, it's a state of action. It's what we do to impact others in a positive way that ultimately changes the world and changes the people around us. So now we take this positive leadership, it's how can I positively influence the people around me? And so it starts with your own vision of where you're going, why you're going there. We talked about that. It then moves to how do I lead with optimism? How do I lead with positivity? How do I become a more positive person to the people around me? Dabo Sweeney. I work with Clemson football for the past five years and just won a national championship. I was on the sideline with the team. I've you know, wrote a lot about Dabo in this book. I personally have watched how he led. It started with himself, but he has such belief in his players. He believes in them more than they believe in themselves. So he's always sharing this optimism and belief. Steve Jobs, many would say he's, he wasn't a positive leader in many ways, right, through relationships, but he was positive with vision. And in his biography, they talked about his reality distortion field, his RDF, how he always distorted the reality of his team that from pessimism 
or some would say realism, I'm just being a realist, to optimism of what could be accomplished. So he inspired them to accomplish more than they ever thought possible. So to me, belief is really a big central component of leadership and transferring your belief to others. My daughter, for instance, lacrosse player and really struggled when she was young. I actually wrote about her in the book and it's called to help your team become unstoppable. And here she was very stoppable and not very good, but I always just kept encouraging her and encouraging her. When she was younger, I almost ruined her because I pushed her too hard and I would get frustrated by her. So I had my own transformation to be a more positive leader. And from moving from negative to positive, which is something I talk about a lot, I became this leader who encouraged her rather than discouraged her. And when her coach was discouraging her, her junior year and sophomore year and freshman year, I just kept encouraging her. By her junior year, she became an academic All-American and truly became unstoppable, even though she was very stoppable for years. So I saw the fruit of that effort of just believing in someone and encouraging them. So so that's a big part of leadership. Leadership. And then positive leaders unite the organization. Leadership is about uniting people, bringing people together to create one team, one organization. When Alan Mullally took over Ford, Ford was in big trouble. They had lost $14 billion, very dysfunctional. They were very regionalized. And most of the leadership team was con- were concerned about their own careers and themselves rather than the future of Ford. In comes Alan Mullally. He saved Boeing. And people thought, there's no way this guy is going to turn around forward. Well, sure enough, he did it. How did he do it? He said, John, we had to become one team with one goal, one plan, one Ford. He said, you have to have a compelling vision, a comprehensive strategy, and a relentless implementation of the plan, like relentless grit, every day showing up, relentlessly implementing the plan. Now, Aside from this, just you know, take a little bit of a side, you have to have clarity. He created clarity of what they needed to do that allowed people to take focused actions. So great leaders create a clarity that allows everyone to know what they need to do to act upon that plan. And that's what he did. Now go back. He united all of Ford to come together to work towards the plan and to truly work as one team. And they became one team. But to do so, he had to hold everyone accountable, but he also had to love them. So what he did was he provided both love and accountability, which is a key part of building a united team and making a team successful. That's where I talk about where you have to be a connected team and develop great relationships. But the key to relationships are love and accountability. I'm going to love you, but I, I'm going to hold you accountable to what needs to be done for for us to be great. He said, John, you got to love them up, but you got to hold them accountable to the values, the principles, and the culture of the organization. And if someone wasn't willing to work as one team and be a team player, they were gone. We couldn't use them on our team. So those are some key central components. And one other one, a positive leader – they pursue excellence. Let's let's get this straight. Like positive leaders doesn't mean that we're all just about positivity and getting along. No, we're here to create something great. We're here to create a masterpiece. Positive leaders pursue excellence, but they do so by being demanding, just not demeaning. And so they help people be their best as they're working on pursuing excellence in the process. Wow. Uh, that was a lot. Yeah, that was yeah. a lot. There, there, there's, uh, you know, yeah, many questions come from that. Um, <laughs> 
you know, one of the things that really struck me, you know, as you were saying that is I think about, you know, when we've worked with people, especially on small teams, you know, you really can't have anybody who has any sense of entitlement when you're in the, in a startup phase of a company, because, uh, if you do, they're, they're incredibly toxic to, to the growth uh, of the organization. Very much so. I mean, one person doesn't make a team, but one person will break a team. Yeah. And so, so if you have that negative person, and I think this is why Energy Bus spreads so fast, because Energy Bus deals with energy vampires. You're going to have negativity on your team. You'll have some energy vampires occasionally. If you do, you have to deal with them. You have to first and foremost identify it confront it, deal with it. The biggest mistake leaders make is they don't deal with the negativity that exists on their team. So confront it, then try to transform it. Don't just get rid of them, but truly try to transform in a positive ways, in a positive way. The other mistake that leaders make is they, they are negative about negativity. They're like, you know what? I hate this negativity. And they wind up being negative about negativity and they, and they deal with it in a negative way. No, no, no. Lead by principle, not circumstance. Lead by your values, not circumstance. So lead how you know you need to lead, but address it. Say, you know what? That's not how we do things here. This is how we do things. What's the problem? What's the challenge? How can I work with you to help you deal with this? And then if you can't transform it, if they're not willing to change, then at that point, you may have to let that person off the bus. I had one executive, he put a sign in his office that said, energy vampires welcome experience to be transformed. You know, it's pretty cool. And then I had another leader put a sign up that said energy vampires. And anytime one of the players, this was University of Georgia, anytime one of the players was being a vampire, they took the player's picture from the media guide and they put it on the wall where the vampire was. And he was like, hey, we're not going to allow negativity to sabotage our team. No one wanted to be on the wall. That may not work in offices, but it worked with the sports team. So there's different ways to deal with the negativity. But the point is you must deal with it, confront it, and not allow one person to sabotage your team as you move forward. Mm. You know, one of the other things that I am curious about is when people reach a, a certain level of competency or, or success, I, I think there's a danger of complacency happening. You know, the, you feel like the, this sort of notion of, okay, you know what, I've made it. Um, and I'm curious, one, if you've seen that happen with people, especially on sports teams who've achieved high things, and also how do they prevent it from happening? Well, there's two things that happen. One, you have complacency because they've achieved some level of success so they get comfortable. The other, the other thing that happens is you have fear. See, people don't realize that the more success you have, a lot of times you actually have more fear and it's something you have to deal with because you have more to lose. You have farther to fall. And so there's a greater fear of failure. I had that when I was writing The Carpenter. I had success with the energy bus, training camp, was doing great. And all of a sudden, I was worried that people were going to think my best work was behind me. So for the first two weeks, I couldn't write. And then I realized I was letting the fear get to me. And then I was like, whoa, I just have to love the reader, love writing this book, and just love the process of, of doing what I love, and that's telling this story and hopefully making a difference. If I do that, let the outcome take care of itself. So I started to love the writer and love writing, and sure enough, I wrote the book literally in two and a half weeks from that moment because I was now filled with love instead of fear. So if you love it, 
you won't fear it. Love casts out fear. So where there is love, you can't have fear. So I think that's something that people need to understand. There's complacency, but there's also fear that maybe looks like complacency, but actually the person is scared, so they're not taking action and they're not growing. Now, to deal with complacency, one of the things I love to do is talk about growth and great growth. And so you say to each member of your team, do you want growth or do you want great growth? Let me ask you this. Do you want growth or great growth? Definitely great growth. Yeah, everyone's great growth, right? Okay, well, let me tell you, to, to have growth, I'm going to nourish your spirit. I'm going to encourage you and really speak life into you and be positive with you. But you're just going to go through the motions every day and just continue to do the work every day and just keep doing what you're doing. Believe it or not, you actually will grow. People say you'll stay stagnant. No, you will grow. If you shoot baskets every day, you're going to get better at shooting baskets. You know, you're going to get better at whatever skill you do. So you actually will have some growth. People say you stay stagnant. No, you have some growth. But if you want great growth, here's the formula for that. I nourish your spirit, but I also have to make you feel uncomfortable. I have to push you past your comfort zone to help you get even better. So I'm going to challenge you. Do I have your permission to challenge you to be the best version of yourself, to get better every day? Can I make you uncomfortable? Yes, because you said you want a great growth. And then a week, a month from there, you're talking to the player, you know, and you see that he's not really putting all the effort that he needs to. You said you want a great growth. <laughs> you know, I'm going to push you. I know, I know. So it's about love and accountability. I'm going to have love for you, but I'm going to hold you accountable to excellence. And I'm not going to let you settle for being your best. Coaches that I know, they say, you know what? I'm not going to let you settle for being your best because if I do, then I don't really love you. But if I love you, I'm going to push you past your own comfort zone to be the best you can be. Two words, love tough, not tough love, love tough. If your team knows you love them, then they will allow you to push and challenge them to grow. If tough love come, if it, if it's tough love and tough comes first, then what happens is you get rules without relationship lead to rebellion. So I'm pushing you too much. I'm challenging you. I'm tough, but love comes second or not at all, and that's never a great recipe for success and growth for a person. See, relationships is what drive real growth. You want growth. You have to have a relationship with the people you lead to help them grow. And that's where love and accountability come in. Hmm. Wow. Um, you know, so one of the things that, that has struck me is you've mentioned writing books uh, in very short amounts of time as somebody who studies habits religiously and is really kind of obsessive about productivity since I've literally just written a book about this. I'm curious awesome. what your what your average day looks like and, and what your sort of habits, routines and rituals are like that enable you to do what you do. Okay, so when I am writing a book, which always happens during December, I can never really write the rest of the year because things are always crazy. I'm on the road. I'm speaking December. Everything slows down, and that's when I find time to write. I get up in the morning, and I go to the computer, and I start writing. If I check my cell phone and start doing Twitter and social media, I'm done. I can't, <laughs> I can't write. I can relate. I, yeah, I can't write. I've lost the creativity. It's the worst. So I literally have to discipline myself now. It was it was easier years ago when there was no such thing. So I'll sit down and write maybe a couple hours, maybe an hour. And then I go take that walk of gratitude. I still do the thank you walk. So I walk and I pray. And then more ideas come to me. And I get insights. 
So I come back and I'll literally write down. Sometimes I'll run in the door. My wife's like, what's going on? I'll like run in and write down everything that was in my mind. She calls me the mad scientist during the writing period. Then I write for a few more hours until around maybe noon or one. And then I'm done, done for the day. I'll go do whatever it is, you know, to help with the, my wife be with my kids. They're, they're, older now. My daughter's a freshman in college and my son is going to be a senior in high school. And then at night I edit what I wrote. So I read what I wrote and I edit a little bit, change a few things. And that's pretty much it. I may get some new ideas as that happens. And that's when I I write down some different ideas for the next morning. I get up the next morning and I start the process again. And I do this day in and day out for a few weeks. And I'm really big on you know, that process for me. But one thing I wanna let you know, and I tell people this all the time, people are so fascinated with the rituals and routines of others. And I think that's great to learn productive routines, very, very important. But always remember that it's not the routine that makes someone successful. It's the intention behind the routine, and it's the heart and the spirit behind it that drives someone to success. The routine is just sort of the physical manifestation of the heart and intention to do what you want to do and what you are meant to do. Mm. Wow. Well, I can I can see now why uh, Ryan and his folks uh, referred you over to us. So I have one last question, which is how we finish all of our interviews at the Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? unmistakable I think it goes back to what I just said I think it goes back to their heart their spirit their passion their purpose it's knowing this truth that we don't create our world outside in the the expectations the noise what the critics say what the media says no Unmistakable people create their world inside out. What's inside? Your spirit, your love, your joy, and your passion. I had a field goal kicker in the NFL. It was his second year, and he was really struggling. And in the media, they were talking about how he might get cut. It was on ESPN and everything. And his rookie year was a great year. So I've known him for a while. I reached out to him. I said, hey, what's going on? He said, I'm thinking way too much. I said, let's get on a call. So now we're talking on the phone. And he starts telling me about his rookie season because I said, hey, tell me about your rookie season. He's like, I was loving it. I was in the NFL. I was living my dream. I said, tell me about this year. He said, well, I missed a couple kicks during preseason. Now I don't want to let the coach down. Don't want to let the team down. I don't want to lose what I have. So now he was all worried. He was looking outside. So what I encouraged him to do, to be unmistakable, look inside. Look at your love that you have for the game. Look at the love of kicking that you had your rookie year and get back to the passion, the love, and the joy, and the spirit of just playing football and just kicking and doing what you love. Fear is outside, love's inside. He got back to that, had a great rest of the year, had a great year this year, and so it was exciting to see. Now, it wasn't me that did it. I just point him to the truth that to be unmistakable, you focus inside out and you create inside out. Well, I think that makes a, uh, a really fitting end to our conversation. Uh, where can people learn more about you, your work, and your books? They can go to johngordon.com, J-O-N Gordon.com, J-O-N Gordon.com, and Twitter at J-O-N Gordon 11. Instagram's the same thing, at J-O-N Gordon 11 is Twitter and Instagram. And uh, I just want to say thank you so much for having me on. I mean, the way you started with those questions about 
growing up, that really opens the the window into someone. And for some reason, like the way you asked it and then us just talking, I, I revealed things that I've never revealed before. So I appreciate you bringing that out of me. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.